We had elders meeting Tuesday night, and we needed someone to fill the pulpit this morning. And I got the short straw. <laughs> and Darla was asking for titles and scripture, and I had nothing. You did well, Darla, just winging it. Thank you. So, I've got a couple things. One comes from, from our Sunday school lesson this morning, and then I've got uh, in the library, I found this book Tuesday night, just happened to be on the table. Shelby put it in there for me, <laughs> or for somebody. And it says, Then Sings My Soul, 150 of the world's greatest hymn stories. So it takes a hymn, and then it tells the story of how that hymn was written, who wrote it, and when. So we're going to look at one of those and try to tie it all together this morning. We're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn and follow along. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 10. The title of the lesson of our Sunday school lesson this morning was We Are His Workmanship. And as we look at Scripture over and over, we see that it doesn't matter who we are, where we've been, or what we've done, Jesus still loves us. And that's the only reason that He died on the cross was because of His love for us. We like to look at people and say, well, they need to cut their hair, or they need to not get tattoos, or they need to... I mean, we can go on and on and prognosticate about what people need to do to shape up, which means to be like I think they should be. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. And... Um, we are all different, and that becomes very plain very quickly if you're sitting in a meeting with other people and you say something and somebody right beside you says, oh, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that at all. And it has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that I hear things this way and you hear them a different way in a different tone or whatever. And whether it's a speaker or whether it's a musician or we all have our, or whether it's food, we all have our, what we like and what we don't like. But in front of Jesus, we are all the same. Let's remember that. Verse 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want to go back and look at a few things uh, that he talks about in the first, in the beginning part of that scripture, who we once were, who we are after Christ shed his blood for us, and what we are going to do about that. And if you stop and think in your own life, and you know when. Jesus became real to you, and you accepted him as your Savior. If you go back to that point and say, what would have happened if that wouldn't have happened? What if I wouldn't have accepted Jesus? Where would I be today? What kind of a person would I be today? What kind of things would I be doing? And I don't know what you come up with when you do that in your own life, but for myself... I can see a monstrous mess of who and what I would have been without Jesus. Or the influence of people who also were committed to Jesus or parents that were committed to Jesus. All of that, where would I be? And... A lot of people have great stories about what Jesus saved them from. And I think some of the rest of us would have stories of what Jesus saved us from. As in, we didn't have to go through that. And sometimes that's even more of a miracle than than saving you out of all that stuff after you get into it. And so... Then, when, after we were saved, what happens? Do we stay in that fellowship with Jesus all the rest of our life, or do we cool off and pull away and wander away like sheep and get lost again on our own? And that comes back to our time of personal reflection and saying, what am I doing and what am I thinking and what am I saying that I should not be? And giving that over again to Jesus to take care of all those uh, fleshly desires, fleshly things, whether it's jokes or stories or whatever it is. And I had a guy tell me on a mission trip in Ecuador, he said, I love my country music, 
And Jesus is just going to have to understand that. Okay. So if you were a prostitute, he's going to understand that too. I mean, you could go on and on and on with that kind of analogy. And I don't think that's correct biblical way of looking at things. Because we know that what we put in comes out someplace, somehow. What goes in must come out. What There's a computer song about that, some kid's song or something. So, uh, he says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions. That means we don't anymore. But there's so many things out there trying to drag us back into that. And I don't have to tell you what all that is. But God, in verse 4, that's a very important two words, but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It wasn't because of who my father was or my grandfather or the fact that of any, any of those facts it had nothing to do with that. It has to do with Jesus saved me by grace and raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. Why is it so hard to remain seated in those heavenly places? How do we get those human desires, things we see, smell, feel, whatever? What is it about that that draws, tends to draw us back away from the only one who can ever save us? And then verse 9 says, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we all have things that we could boast about. Things that we have accomplished, things that we have done. But, not our salvation. It is a gift of God. For we are his workmanship. Verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means the good works aren't going to save us, but the saving us is going to make us want to do good works for all the other things that we see in front of us. And he says we should walk in them. Now, I said something about personal reflection. And the hymn that I've picked out of this whole 150, I mean, once you get started, it's like, wow, I can't put this down. title of the hymn is Revive Us Again, and I think we're going to sing that when we close this. But this song was written in 1863, and it comes out of a lesson or a scripture text from Psalms 85:6 Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you So 
This is not something new. This is something that even in Psalms and in the Old Testament, they were constantly talking about reviving us. Uh, So here's the here's the story in his own words. Here's the testimony of Scottish doctor W.P. Mackey, author of Revive Us Again. He says, my dear mother had been a godly, pious woman, quite often telling me of the Savior, and many times I had been a witness to her wrestling in prayer for my soul's salvation. But nothing had made a deep impression on me. The older I grew, the more wicked I became. One day, a seriously injured laborer was brought into the hospital. The case was hopeless. He seemed to recognize his condition, for he was fully conscious and asked me, How long he would last? I gave him my opinion in a cautious, in as cautious a manner as I could. Have you any relatives whom we could notify? I continued. The patient shook his head. His only wish was to see his landlady because he owed her a small sum and also wished to bid her farewell. He also requested his landlady send him the book. I went to see him on my regular visits at least once a day. What struck me most was the quiet, almost happy expression constantly on his face. After the man died, some things about the deceased affairs were to be attended to in my presence. What shall we do with this? asked the nurse, holding up a book in her hand. What kind of a book is it? I asked. The Bible of the poor man. As long as he was able to read it, he did so. And when he was unable to do so anymore, he kept it under his bed cover. I took the Bible and, could I trust my eyes? It was my own Bible, the Bible which my mother had given me when I left my parents' home and which later, when I was short of money, I sold for a small amount. My name was still in it, written in my mother's hand. With a deep sense of shame, I looked upon the precious book. It had given comfort and refreshing to the unfortunate man in his last hours. It had been a guide to him into eternal life, so that he had been enabled to die in peace and happiness. And this book, the last gift of my mother, I had actually sold for a ridiculous price. Be it sufficient to say that the regained possession of my Bible was the cause of my conversion. So, my final words about that is, if you are praying for someone, don't stop. And if you are being prayed for, you can't run and hide very long. Jesus is after you one way or another. And he intends for you to accept his call for salvation for that grace that he gives. Let's sing that song together, darling.